Good morning, City Church. It's wonderful to be here this morning, and it's a blessing to be able to have the opportunity to share God's Word with you. Uh, Just a little disclaimer, um, I used to preach every Sunday for about 15 years, a very short time, right? And I haven't preached in over a year, so I'm a little rusty. So if I get off track here, please forgive me and help me through it, all right? But today's an exciting day because today we celebrate the birthday of our wonderful, wonderful country. I don't know about you, but I'm a patriot. Any patriots here? All right, all right. Any patriots online at home? Welcome to City Church, guys. I'm excited you're here to worship with us this morning. Um, So today, um, we declared our independence from England over 245 years ago. You know, the history teaches us that the British were mistreating us um, and uh, there were a lot of grievances towards them. But one of the main issues was uh, being taxed without having any representation in Parliament. You know the history, right? Um, So our founding fathers, 56 of them in total, got together and wrote this declaration of becoming independent from England. The interesting thing about this Declaration of Independence is that um, one of the things they said was that humanity or man, woman and man, have God-given rights that were given to them by what they would call the Almighty. And the beautiful thing is that God, the Almighty, or divine providence is what they would use those terms is mentioned about four times in the Declaration of Independence, twice in the beginning and twice at the end. The men that signed this document were 56 of them in total. And just to give you a rundown, two of them were of 20 years of age. That's pretty young, right? Two of them were 20 years of age. 16 were in their 30s. 20 were in their 40s, 11 in their 50s, six of them in their 60s, and one, Benjamin Franklin, was over 70. All of them but two were married, and each of them had the average of six children. 24 lawyers, well, what are you going to do? 24 lawyers, nine merchants, 14 farmers, four doctors, and one preacher. And Pastor did an awesome job in Quinn um, giving us more information about other people who who were involved in a whole movement of uh, independence. Um, If you get a chance, you should go and subscribe to our YouTube video and look at all those uh, uh, videos that are out there about other individuals. And they're on the shirts. We got three t-shirts today for those of you who are here and free hats as well. So please, on your way out, grab a t-shirt, grab a hat, and celebrate 4th of July. The thing about these men is that they were educated men. They were civilized and educated men, but also these men were willing to suffer and sacrifice everything for the cause that they believed in. And history shows that they paid the price. They paid the price, and they paid it dearly. Just to name a couple of the people that paid the price here, 
Carl Baxton of Virginia was a wealthy planter and trader, but following his signing of the Declaration of Independence, his ships were destroyed, and then to pay his debts, he lost his home and all of his property. Thomas McKean of Delaware was so harassed by the enemy that he was forced to move his family five times in five months. He served Congress without pay and his family in poverty and in hiding. Thomas Nelson Jr. of Virginia raised $2 million of his, uh, on his own name to help fund the war. And after the war he, war, he personally paid back, paid it all back, the loans, wiping out his entire estate and was never reimbursed by the government. Francis Lewis had his home and everything destroyed, his wife in prison, and she died within a few months. Richard Stockton was captured and mistreated and his health was broken, and then his estate was taken away. Of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence, few survive. Five were captured by the British as traitors and tortured. Eleven, of their home, eleven, of, eleven had their homes burned, two lost their sons at war, and another two had two sons captured. Most of them lost everything they owned, but not one, not one of them recanted for signing the Declaration of Independence. And as a result, we have the privilege of being here today and living in this country. How many of you would agree with me? Yeah. Amen. So we're celebrating 245 years that our founding father gave us our birth certificate. We continue to be the longest ongoing constitutional republic in history of the world. And we need to understand that these blessings, and I use the word blessing intentionally, are not by chance or accidental. They are blessings from God. See, we see turmoils in other nations and their struggles and multiple revolutions. And yet we see the stability that we have in our wonderful country of America. And we ask ourselves, how has this been achieved? What was the basis of the American independence? Well, John Adams, tells us. He says, the general principles in which the, fa the fathers, am I on that screen right now? Oh, sorry. There we go. He said, the general principles of which the fathers achieve independence were the general principles of Christianity. Adams went on to say, in observing July 4th, it ought to be commemorated, and this is a beautiful thing that we f celebrate July 4th on Sunday. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by the solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. Preserving American liberties depends first on, upon us and our understanding of the foundations of this country and what it was built on. And preserving those principles that our foundation and our country was founded on. Woodrow Wilson once declared, a nation which does not remember what was yesterday does not know what is today or what is it trying to do. 
Sadly, our society and our institutions are trying to rewrite history. It is our duty as American citizens to teach the truth and the foundations of our country to the next generation. And it starts in our homes. And then Dresden and I have a privilege of homeschooling our three kids. I mean, we sacrificed and suffered a lot as a result of this. But in our homeschooling endeavors, we teach and try to teach our kids the true American history. Now, maybe you don't have that possibility if you're a parent and a child school homeschooling. That's okay. You do spend time with them in the evening at home, and you do have an opportunity to be able to share true American history because I'll be honest with you, they're not teaching what they used to teach me when I was in school many years ago. And Dresden and I love our country. And Dresden is not a natural-born citizen of our country. Her and her family immigrated here, immigrated here uh, from Brazil when she was 10 years old, 1987. Now, don't try to work out her age, okay? <laughs> And she became a natural citizen, and her family have become citizens of this country, and they have adopted this country as their country. I have three in-laws who, who served in the United States Army, and out of those three brothers, one brother-in-law, two sisters-in-law, and two other brother-in-laws, so let me, let me read, probably about five in-laws. And out of those, many of them are veterans who fought in wars for our country. This country has given my parents opportunities to prosper, but most importantly, to come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. My parents came here from Puerto Rico, which, by the way, if you did not know this, Puerto Rico is a U.S. territory, but it is, it's got limited opportunities. But my parents came here from Puerto Rico. My father came here in 1956 at the ripe old age of 16 and with a sixth grade education. He came to work on the farms in Florida, worked his way up the coast to New York City and started working in an Italian restaurant in New York City as a dishwasher. In that restaurant, he worked his way up as head chef, was able to substantially provide for his family, and worked there for 45 years, which he was able to retire and live comfortably his retirement down in Florida. He was able to purchase homes. He was able to purchase houses. He was able to learn to speak English fluently as well as Italian. And all of this with a sixth grade education, why do I say this? Why am I mentioning this? Because this only can happen in America. Well, it might could happen in other countries, but the opportunities for a young man at the age of 16 to accomplish all these things, this could only be in America. My mom came here at a young age too. She worked in factories with a ninth grade education, and she was also able to retire early as a result. Unfortunately, she passed away at a young age and in 2003. My parents was married in America. They were married in the Bronx, New York. Anybody from the Bronx here? I'm just kidding. <laughs> the Bronx, New York. 
And in the Bronx, my two brothers were born, but my dad looked around and said, this is not safe. This is not a good environment to raise a family. So he moved across the Hudson River into New Jersey, bought a home, and, and I, that's where I was born, raised me and my two brothers in a safe community, in a safe environment, which, by the way, it's no longer safe. <laughs> I'm just saying, at that time in the 70s, it was safe. As a result, we were able to live in this community which allowed me the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ through many avenues and churches and outreach ministries that many came to share. And as a result, it allowed me to come to faith in Christ and share my faith with my family, which in time, both my parents and my brothers and my sisters-in-law came to know Jesus as their Savior. This country has given me the opportunity to find a church where I can find a wonderful wife, get married, have three beautiful children, and move to the South. Amen. I'm so happy I'm in the South, let me tell you. I love the North. It's a good place to be from, you know what I'm saying? I say all this and let you know this country is not perfect. I would, no country's perfect. The only country or the only kingdom that's going to be perfect is the one Jesus is setting up now and will set up when he comes to earth. And we will all be part of that, right? But we live in a country that gives us freedoms and opportunity that you cannot imagine. This is wonderful. I tell my kids this all the time. We love this country. We celebrate this country because we live in a really good country. And let's keep it that way. Let's keep it that way. Let's teach the next generation what it means to be an American. Let's tell them to stop whining. Stop complaining. Stop having an entitlement mentality. Work hard, struggle, suffer. Oh, those are words we don't use in our culture anymore. But these are the realities. There's something to be said about the Christian work ethic. Because we know that when God told Adam, you will have to sweat from your eyebrow in order to make progress, we understand that life is always like three steps forward and one step back. We know it's always a struggle. Let's teach our kids this. Let's teach them that that's what this country was built on. And we're not entitled. We don't deserve anything. We got to work for it. All right. I'm done getting off my soapbox here. But the truth is that we have a problem as humans, but we also have a problem in this country. We're selfish. We're selfish individuals. We, we, we want to think that um, we deserve everything. We, we want things our way. We don't want things the hard way, and we definitely don't want things God's way. And selfishness is pride in general, and pride is the rooter of sin. And sin means that we miss the mark. We miss the mark of perfection, the perfect life that God has designed for us. We miss it. But the beauty part 
about Christianity is that we know that Jesus hit the mark. Amen? And he hit the mark dead on. We all miss it because we inherited this rebellious spirit from Adam. And as a result, we've become a slave to our selfishness. And as a result of that, we cannot experience life and freedom. But there is an opportunity for us to be free. And that is Jesus Christ. Now, not all Christians who are saved get uh, experience this freedom now let me explain something salvation is one thing but freedom from selfishness and from slavery it's a process you follow me it is a process that theologians will call sanctification it is a journey and this journey of freedom that Jesus offers all humanity all those that come to him he gives them freedom Freedom from their self, freedom from the world system, and freedom from Satan. He gives them that freedom. But in order for you to internalize this freedom, in order for you to understand it and to live it out, it takes those two dirty words, sacrifice and, what's, and suffering. And I'll throw a, a, another one in there, struggle. Yes, it takes you, what Jesus would say, picking up your cross daily and following him. It takes you, the, it requires you to pick up your Bible, read, and if you don't have a Bible app, that's fine too, read the scriptures and allow the Holy Spirit, through the enablement of the Holy Spirit, work in your heart and mind transforming you as Paul says in Romans chapter 12 it, not to be conformed to the world's system of way of thinking but being transformed by the renewal of your mind and to thinking more like Jesus which by the way is faith it's building the character of Jesus in your life and this is a struggle it takes sacrifice. It takes, it's going, you're going to hurt. It's going to be, it's going to be painful. Because you've got to deny yourself and follow him. See, in the church, everybody's okay of salvation. And salvation is a free gift. It's a wonderful thing, yes. But that sanctification part is where we kind of like hit the exit on the road as we're going down this journey we kind of exit off on that when it comes to that sanctification part but that's where the true freedom and life is experienced and I say this and, I, and, and it hurts me very few Christians experience that but you have an opportunity to only if you allow Jesus to transform you and make you more like him. And see, this is not something that we, this is not something new. This has always been the issue since the beginning, since Adam and Eve actually fell in the garden, in the garden of, in the garden, right? And James, 
in the book of James, he addresses this issue in James chapter 4, verse 12. Let me read for you in James chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 12. I'm sorry. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. And I'll put it up on the screen for you. James chapter 4, verse 1 through 12. And I'm kind of like old school, flipping through my Bible. I hope it, hope it doesn't bother you. <laughs> I'm not at the point where I can't preach without notes or stuff like that. I'll get there. Trust me, I, I want to I get there. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. It says the following. And this is talking about selfishness. And James is talking to the church, by the way. Just so you know, right? I mean, you might read this and think, well, that's for those that are not part of the body of Christ. No, 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 no. This is for the body of Christ. He says, what causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Selfishness. It is not that your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. What does Jesus say about murder? Even if you hate your brother, you've, you've murdered him. You murder. You covet and you cannot attain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own selfishness, passions. You adulterous people, <coughs> excuse me, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. This is what we need to do. This is repentance. Submit your, yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinner. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. You let your laughter be turned into mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come in your presence. I thank you for this opportunity to share your word. I pray that you will speak through me as you speak to your people. These are your people. These are your children. And those that are sitting here in this um, auditorium and those that are online right now, Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit will minister to them through your words. Use me, Lord, and, and, and my feeble mind and help me to be able to communicate clearly your precious principles and insights from your word. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's one thing I want you to take away this morning. There's one thing if you write your notes down or whatever it is that you do, one thing I want you to stamp in your brain is this. <coughs> Selfishness is slavery, but Jesus gives freedom. That's the one point I want you to understand this morning. Selfishness is slavery, but Jesus gives freedom. And what James says in that, in that scripture we just read in the first verses is that this is a struggle. This is an internal struggle, I would add, right? That we all, as, as children of God, are going through. 
He says, Paul addresses this same type of struggle inside of us in Romans chapter 6. It is the old way of thinking, the old mentality, the one that has not been redeemed or regenerated by Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit versus the new mentality, the one that has been redeemed, has been regenerated by Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. These two are at war within you. The old way wants to satisfy himself, selfishness, his selfish desires, his selfish passions, what looks good, what feels good, what can boost his ego. That's what the old man wants to do. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 explains this and it says to us, For what is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. This is what the old mentality, the unregenerated mentality, constantly wants to, to feed. And that's what causes selfishness. And that's what brings on slavery. Because what you serve is who you become a slave to. These tactics of the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life are not new tactics. These tactics have always been used by Satan himself. He used these same three tactics when he deceived Eve in the Garden of Eden. Look with me at Genesis chapter 6. He says, So when the woman saw the tree, lust of the eyes, and was good for food, lust of the flesh, and it was delightful for her eyes, um, and that the tree was to be, I'm sorry, let me back up a little bit. And that it was delightful to the eyes, lust of the eyes, and it was good for food, lust of the flesh. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, pride of life. <coughs> she took the fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband. This is the tactics that Satan uses us in order to enslave us to our own selfishness to our own pride, and it does not allow us to experience freedom. The new way of thinking is saying, I want to, I am, I am obeying, I am committed, and I am trusting God. And the new mentality or the new, the freedom that Jesus gives us is us developing that commitment and that trust and that dependability, dependability, I told you I was rusty, right? Bear with me. Dependability on God, which builds the character of Jesus Christ in our life. And building the character of Jesus Christ in our life is essential to experiencing freedom and to being a Christian. And, and we're reading through the book of uh, Galatians right now. And Pastor did, by the way, just a little side note. Man, I'm so excited I'm part of this church. Pastor Jim is an awesome preacher. You know what I'm saying? We are extremely blessed. And you need to go tell your friends that, all right? And, and tell them to come hear God's word so that they can experience freedom. And by the way, Pastor did not give me like a bonus check for saying that or anything. I'm just saying that because it's true. But anyway, Galatians chapter 5 talks about that character of Jesus. That's just one segment of the New Testament. There are other segments of the New Testament that talks about this character. And we need to live out this character of Jesus Christ 
and the mentality of Jesus Christ to transform our minds so that we can experience freedom, but we need to do this at all costs, and it requires struggle, suffering, and sacrifice. And this is countercultural, countercultural to the world system. It wasn't originally when God gave dominion to Adam. Remember the, uh, the Genesis account? When God created everything, he gave a dominion to Adam. He says, by the way, you're in charge of the world system. But that was hijacked in, in Genesis chapter 3 when, when Satan deceived Eve and then Eve dragged her husband along and they all fell and that, that, that world system that Adam was in control of was handed over to Satan. And you know what he will do with it. He's going to destroy it. God's original design for the world was set up and it was good. And it was given to Adam to take care of. Who then disobeyed and rebelled against God and relinquished it to Satan. But praise God that Jesus, the perfect man, amen, came to earth And guess what? In Matthew chapter 4, he went through those same three tactics that Satan used on Eve, that Satan uses on us, but that he was victorious over. You remember that? Let's go there to Matthew chapter 4 real quick. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Remember when Jesus is in the wilderness and he's fasting for 40 days and and Satan comes and taps him. He says, I got him now. He's weak. He's, he's, he's going to fall. I'm going to get him with the same three tactics I used with Eve and I used with Adam. I'm going to get this guy. And he says there, Jesus was led up by the Spirit, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread, lust of the flesh or lust of the eyes. Could be either or. But Jesus was like, uh-uh, I'm not falling for this. He answered, it is written, man should not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Chapter, uh, verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to them, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he has commanded his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Pride of life. Throw yourself down. Show, your, show humanity who you are. Show them that you're, the, you're God. It was not his time. Jesus was not falling for it. He's not going to do what Satan wants him to do. You shall, and, and where am I? Striker. Verse 7, Jesus said to him, again it is written, you should not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh. And he said to him, all these were given, all these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. It was given to him by, Satan, by Adam when Adam fell in the garden. And he said, I can give you these things if you worship me. Verse 10, then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And then the the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Jesus was victorious over these three same tactics, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life, 
And as a result, when we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we are committed, when we trust him, when we're dependent on him, and we follow him, and we allow him to build his character in our character through the enablement and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we too will get freedom. And that's true freedom. That's real freedom. Jesus purchased our freedom with his sinless, perfect life. He obeyed the Father. He was committed to the Father. And guess what? This wasn't easy for him. He was human. You know that, right? So this was not like a simple task. Well, he's God. He was 100% God, but he was also 100% man. So he suffered. <coughs> he sacrificed. And he struggled. Just like each and every one of us. But he was victorious. And he gave us that victory. Oh, thank you, Clay. You're a wonderful man. <laughs> thank you, brother. Excuse me. He gave us that victory, that freedom. When we trust, when we're dependent, and we obey, and we are committed to him. Meanwhile, there's a war going inside us. Who are you committed to? Who are you committed to? Are you committed to yourself and to the world system and to Satan tactics? Or are you committed to God? You have the ability to be committed to God. You have the ability to die to yourself and live for Jesus on a daily basis. Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. You have that ability because you have the enablement and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that allows you to do that. But the question is, are you yielding? That's an old school word. You don't hear that that much, right? Are you yielding yourself to him? Are you yielding your life to him? And are you making a conscious decision to follow him? Because selfishness brings war internally and externally. And selfishness brings slavery. But true freedom, Jesus gives you. Jesus gives freedom. And sometimes we, we try to manipulate God, right? And that's what um, James is talking about in chapter 2 and through chapter 5. We try to manipulate God, right? Sometimes we try to justify our selfish desires by saying, well, this is for God's glory, but really it's, it's for our own glory <laughs> or kingdom or empire, right? We, we try to Christianize everything, you know. We try to make things, you know, um, help uh, manipulate it to be able to serve us and, and disguise it like it's Christian, right? God's, James is like, cut it out. You're not going to fool God. You're not going to fool God. You're only fooling yourself. You know, we, we, we say things like, well, well, you know, if God, if God, God wants me to be happy, so, so God wants me to have these things or do these things or live this way because he wants me to be happy. Well, you know what? I'm about to say something here that's probably not uh, politically correct. God doesn't care about your happiness. God wants you to be committed and see, happiness is a fleeting emotion. It's here today, gone tomorrow. 
God wants you to be committed to trust and depend because then you will experience another emotion that is founded upon him and upon his word. And that is, say it church, joy. Joy. God wants you to be joyful. And in order for you to be joyful, which is an emotion that is stable because it's on the foundation of Jesus Christ, with that emotion, God will, will, will then give you peace. God will then give you rest. And then God will give you a mission and a purpose to serve him. Amen? That's what God wants. He doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be joyful. And so, because of our lack of understanding of scriptures and us trying to manipulate everything, when we don't get our way, we get angry and we react. And James says in James chapter 2, he, uh, James chapter 4, verse 2, he says, we start quarrels, we start fights, we, we murder, we hate each other. We become covetous. And this is talking to the church. He's not talking to the world. He's not talking to people outside of church. He's talking to the church. And trust me when I tell you this, folks. I've been in ministry for 20 years as a vocational or bivocational. I've seen it, and I know many of you have seen it too. And I've experienced it. I've been, I've been beat up, chewed up and spit out in my ministry career. Why? Because of people's selfishness and people's misunderstanding of Scripture because they don't understand Scripture and people disobeying authority, disobeying what the leadership of the church is trying to teach them, people trying to manipulate God and manipulate each other. And this is all selfish desires that causes problems in your life and in the body of Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 tells us this. Let me see if I can get that up there. There we go. It says, but understand this. And this is Paul writing to the young pastor Timothy who's pastoring a church. And he's talking to the church. He says, understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Now hold on here. What he's about to say is kind of like what we are living in right now. He says, in the last days, there come times of difficulties. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. Money is not a bad thing. The love of money is a bad thing. You follow me, right? Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedience to their parent, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, loaded with swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance, manipulation of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. This is what we would call unsafe people. Avoid such people. We behave like this when we have unbiblical expectations of God we manipulate God and we manipulate each other and we have these internal struggles when we have unbiblical expectations of God, when we don't struggle, sacrifice and suffer reading and applying and living the word of God in our lives, when we don't submit and yield ourselves 
through the enablement and in the indwelling and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we live in the, our selfishness and our flesh and we reap destruction and death as a result. Jesus came to free us from that. Jesus wants to free us from reaping in the flesh and har- uh, no, sowing in the flesh and harvesting and destruction. He wants us to sow in the spirit and live in the spirit and harvest life, light, liberty, freedom. How many of you want that in your life? James goes on to say in verse 2 through verse 3, he doesn't give us when we manipulate it because we have wrong motives. We want to fill, fulfill our own selfish appetites, our own selfish desires, our own selfish <coughs> passions. We're not interested in expanding the kingdom of God, but we're interested in building our own personal empire here on earth. And so when we ask, God doesn't give us because we have wrong motives. And let me tell you, son, I struggle with this, right? Because I have a lot of desires. I, there's things I, I like to obtain and have. And, and sometimes when I come to God and ask him, I, I, I have to do some self-reflection. Have any of you ever done that? I'm like, what do I really want this for? Do I really want this for the glory of God or do I really want this to to build my personal empire. Now, I understand there's a psalm says that God, if you put him first, he will give you the desires of your heart. He will bless you. But every time I go through this and, and I'm asking God for something, whatever it may be, maybe a house, maybe a car, a property, whatever it is, any of those earthly things, right? I've always do some self-reflection and I'm, I'm struggling and I'm saying, man, God, show me that. Is this something that you want me to have for your glory or is this to feed my pride and my ego and my passions? Because when we do that, when we're looking to feed our own pride, our own ego, our own passion, we become an enemy of God. James tells us in verse 4 through 5, we, be, we commit adultery. We cheat on God. We commit adultery on God because we love the world and we love the world system more than we love God. We love ourselves more than we love God. We commit adultery. But, adultery. but not only do we commit adultery, James says we commit idolatry because we worship ourselves more than we worship God. We worship the world and the world system more than we worship God. We commit idolatry and God gets jealous. God is a jealous God. Why? Because he has every right to. <laughs> he created you. He loves you. He knows what's best for you. He knows he's the only one that can satisfy you. And he's like, you knucklehead. Why don't you just get it? And he becomes jealous, and he disciplines us. And we all deserve a little discipline now and then. Straighten us out. Internal struggles, manipulations, these are the things that cause us to be selfish, and selfishness brings us to slavery. But when we trust and depend and are committed to Jesus, we find true freedom. We find true freedom. Matthew chapter 6 explains this a little bit more for us. I'm sorry. 
yeah, let me go. Look, that's it. Well, Matthew chapter 6, I forgot to give this to the guys. That's my bad. Matthew chapter 6 explains this to us. You know this chapter. Jesus is talking to the disciples in Matthew chapter 6, looking at verse 25 real quick. It says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you being anxious adds a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What should I eat? What should I drink? What should I wear? For the Gentiles, the unbelievers, he's saying here, seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows what you need, you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all these things will be added onto you. It's that simple, but yet so difficult. James continues to say in chapter 6, repent. Repent. And repentance is not a one-time thing. Repentance is a daily thing. Is where repentance is turning away from yourself, 180, and turning to God. And every once in a while, we, we turn to ourselves and we got to repent and turn to God. And every once in a while, we veer off and turn to ourselves, got to repent and turn to God. James is saying this, repent. Repent. Turn away from your selfishness. Turn away from your pride. Struggle with the word of God. Allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. Sacrifice. Suffer. And you will find grace from God. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Resist Satan and he will flee. God will give you grace upon grace upon grace. And yeah, it's a struggle. And the struggle is real, as the kids like to say. But you can continue on, and God will pick you up. And it is a journey. It is a, it is a, a process of sanctification. It doesn't come instantaneously, folks. But you can do it. Because Jesus has given you the ability to do it by the enablement of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Aren't you excited about that? And as a result, when you're committed and you are trusting him, and you are depending on him, you will experience freedom. Selfishness is slavery, but Jesus gives freedom. How would your life look like if you were committed to God 100%? i tell you what, there will be less stress in your life, less anxiety in your life. Everybody struggles with anxiety. I mean, that's like the number one medication out there. And I'm not saying... To, to say that that medical condition doesn't exist. All I'm saying is that, as Jesus said, when we trust and are dependent and obey him, our anxiety levels will go down. Our stress levels will go down. We will find peace. We will find rest. We will find joy in our lives 
and in our families and in our church and I go further out in our community as we impact them. How would our church look like if we suffered, struggled, and sacrificed for the kingdom of God through City Church Savannah, huh? We would be reaching our community leaps and bounds with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can do it. I know we can. Put Jesus first. Grow in your influence. Our founding fathers not, were not perfect. And maybe all of them weren't Christians. But this is one thing. Many of them struggled, suffered, and sacrificed to give us this country, which we are blessed to live in. Let us continue to teach our children about this of the next generations. But most importantly, let us teach the next generations the truth about Jesus Christ. Let us teach them the principles, the insights, the understandings, and the character of Jesus. Instill that in our next generation and allow the Holy Spirit to work in their lives. And allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life because there is no better. You have to teach verbally, but you also have to teach in your lifestyle. Both of those go hand in hand. You follow me? Let us break the chains of slavery. Let us experience freedom that Jesus could only give. And let us expand the kingdom of God. Amen? John says, and it's been up there a while, but I'm going to read it now. In verse 8, verse 34 through 36, it says, Truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain. This is Jesus talking. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son has set you free, you will be well, we got to do better than that, all right? So if the Son has set you free, you will be free. Amen. Are you free? If the answer is yes, then let us go change our world or go change your world. Now, there are people in the back who are willing to pray for you after we're done. I'm going to close this out in the word of prayer. And if you need prayer because you're, going, you're struggling and you want to be draw closer to God, those individuals are back there to help you pray through that. Also, if you need prayer because you're going through something in your life, those individuals are, help you, are back there to help you pray through that. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for allowing me the opportunity to share this message this morning. I pray, Lord, that we as Christians in this country will continue to cherish the freedoms that were given to us by our founding fathers, protect them as best as we can, and share them and teach them as often as we can with the next generation. But most importantly, Father, let us teach and share and live out the principles and the character of what it means to be a Christian, which is living out the character of Jesus Christ through the enablement of the Holy Spirit so that our, the next generation, whether it be our children, our, our nephews, our nieces, our grandchildren, our friends' children, will see and hear and know 
what it means to be a Christian and will be able to experience life, light, and liberty that only Jesus can give. I ask that you bless our day today, bless our week, help us to enjoy this 4th of July day, and help us, most importantly, to enjoy you and to enjoy each other. And we ask this in Jesus' name. God bless you. Have a great day.